Well, let me go ahead and open up with prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, this evening and this summer that you brought us to. We thank you for Kirk of the Plants and all the ministry that's taken place over the last year. We thank you for uh, a chance to um, take a break from some of the regular Sunday school and Bible studies to, to focus on uh, this important topic of evangelism, Lord, and, and not just um, what evangelism um could look like in the abstract, but to try and be practical, to try and be specific, and to help us uh, as a as a church plant, as a as a young body of believers, to to know what it would look like, and 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 how we should pursue really nurturing and and, and creating a culture of evangelism in our church. I pray, Lord, that as people look at Kirk of the Plains, that they would see a, a body of believers who loves you, who loves your word, but who also loves the lost. And I pray that. Even tonight as we just begin this process of talking and praying and thinking about how to uh, nurture a culture of evangelism, that you would begin to create within our hearts a real desire and hunger for this. Lord, let us do this not just because we feel like we have to or we're motivated by guilt, but let it be out of an overwhelming love for Christ and a longing to obey Him, to bring Him honor, to bring Him glory, and to do good to our neighbor. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Um, as uh, as we begin this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's really good to see so many of you here and uh, just to begin this uh, class together. Um, as you know, this is kind of a different format in that we're going to be doing kind of two weeks here back-to-back and then we'll have almost a month where we won't meet and then we'll have another two weeks to kind of wrap things up. Um, we did that partially just because of summer schedules, trying to make it where the most people possible would be able to actually come and be part of it. But I think it will actually work out well in that um, it gives us a chance to really digest what we're, what we're learning because this is one of those um, topics that in one sense is not complicated. It's not hard. It's about Christians sharing Christ with others. And yet, as we know from experience, it can be very difficult to do in practice. And so in many ways, what we don't need is so much just more information piled on, but we need to be growing in our practice and our obedience in, in lots of different ways. And so we'll be talking about some of that tonight. Um, I'm going to pass around a hand. I'm going to take one and pass around. I have, I think, 12 made up here, and we have a bit more than that. So maybe couples, if you could share something, that'd be great. We can maybe make more copies if we need to as well. Um, but what you're what you're getting there uh, on the top is kind of a, a an outline of what we're going to be going through tonight. There's also like pens there on these um, little tables if you want to if you're a note taker. Um, if the first pen doesn't work, just keep going until you find one. So what I want to do though to begin is kind of answer some questions about this training as a whole. And down at the bottom you'll see even like a schedule of what classes we're going to be um, what we're going to be doing in each different session. So before we get into our first session, let me just talk about this class nurturing a culture of evangelism. And I want to really kind of address three questions. I want to look at at why are we doing this class? Um, what are we going to be covering in this class? And then how are we going to be structuring things? How is this going to be run? So we're really looking at the motive, the the message and the method. That's kind of what we're getting at here. Um, so first off, why have this class on evangelism? Well, it's not because um, I was going to be here this summer and I'm a great expert on evangelism and so it was a great opportunity in that sense. In fact, if you were to ask me, what area do you feel weakest in in terms of Christian walk? I would say evangelism. Uh, now, by God's grace, he's not let me kind of live comfortably and ignore that. He's pushed uh, me as an individual, us as a family, to stretch ourselves, to do evangelism, and we've seen God... Um, bless those those efforts. We're grateful for that. Um, but really, it's because um, this is an area where I think all of us as Christians and probably all churches really can grow. And it's something that we need to be putting in front of ourselves regularly. Um, I think when I was um, maybe younger in my Christian walk, I thought of evangelism as kind of like how, how I envision learning a new language. You know, you just you take Spanish one and Spanish two, and then you can speak Spanish. Um, but as Sylvia can attest, that's not necessarily how it works. Really, it's a long-term, lifelong process, and it requires a lot of just intentional repetition and effort. And if you don't use it, you, you lose it. And the same is true of evangelism. It's not like we can just take 
a four-week class and then we'll all be great evangelists and go out. This is something that we need to be doing regularly. So we're seeing this not as the end-all, be-all, but as a means of helping us grow in evangelism. And so the motive really is to kind of just begin to help us as a, as a, as a church plant to um, be more faithful in this area. I know there are many examples um, of ways in which you guys are already reaching out to unbelievers in neighborhoods, families, um, co-workers and things. Those are exciting um, opportunities. But there's, there's of course more we can do and more ways that we can um, work together and, and help each other. Um, maybe some are, are more gifted in this, will be more faithful in this. Others are more fearful and have not pursued opportunities. And so part of the, the goal of this is not just to help a special few be evangelists, but to help the entire church really have a culture of evangelism. And um, I remember when we had the very first prayer meeting for Kirk of the Plains, before it was even called Kirk of the Plains. It was just kind of people getting together to pray about the possibility of God planting a church somewhere. We didn't have a location or a name or anything. But one of the things that was prayed for um, very strongly from a number of people was, Lord, would you would you plant a church that doesn't just reach the underchurched, right? Someone that's coming from maybe a church that's not as healthy, but they're a Christian. We want to reach those people. But we, Lord, would you plant a church that reaches completely unchurched people? People who... Um, are not members of anybody, are not walking with Christ, maybe even don't, haven't heard the basic outline of the gospel, and yet they're coming into contact with the members of that church plant. They're hearing the word preached. They're seeing the love of Christ worked out in the fellowship of God's people, and they're coming to Christ and being trained up in the faith. That's really what we were praying for four or five years ago when we had those first kind of prayer meetings just to, to, to see what the Lord might do. And here we are all these years later, God has planted is planting a church here, right? And there's a building, and there's worship services, and there's members, and there's events, and praise God for that. But we don't want to lose that heart, right? That was that we really were praying for at the beginning, and I know we continue to pray for that God would make us a place um, for the lost, right? And so that's something that we want to be encouraging, and hopefully this class can be one piece of that puzzle. Um, so what are we going to be? kind of covering in these classes. Um, you can see kind of the list of, of sessions down there. We only have four weeks, one session each week, so there's a lot that we won't be able to um, address in one sense. Um, and again, I think evangelism is something that needs to be part of our diet in terms of teaching, preaching, reading, conversation, all of that. Um, so I was trying to think of, you know, what are kind of the most important things to address and how can we both kind of have a clear biblical foundation and paradigm in mind, that's always important. And yet also, not just stay with kind of, well, what does the Bible say about the theology of evangelism? I think that's that's kind of our bread and butter as Presbyterians. We like to talk about that. Um, but then you start saying, what are practical ways that you are sharing your faith this week? What are ways that we as a church can be reaching out to unbelievers? That becomes a little less uh, familiar territory. And so we really want to get to practical suggestions, ideas, um, things that we can be doing. And so we're going to be kind of um, focusing on different things each session. And tonight is probably the most kind of big picture, um, theological, um, kind of foundational topic. And I, I think that's important. We're going to really ask the questions what is a culture of evangelism from a biblical perspective? What would that look like to be a church that has a culture of evangelism? And why is that something that we need to pursue? Why is that important? So we're going to kind of lay a foundation with that. But then next week we're going to begin to really talk through what keeps us from doing evangelism as individuals and as churches. And some of that's going to be things that are, that are personal. They're, they're, sin keeps us from evangelism oftentimes. You know, fear, apathy busyness, you know, whatever it might be. But there's also things in our culture, right? How do you proclaim an exclusive Christ in a culture that worships tolerance? Right? That's a pressure that we face. You can you can put your faith in front of someone and they just all they hear you saying is, This is what works for me. So how do we press home the gospel in that kind of a context? We want to talk about that next week and begin to get more practical, more specific. And then again we'll have that month and then come back in July and there we really want to just be walking through tangible things we can be doing first to say how do we cultivate uh, uh, this kind of community and culture of evangelism in the home you know in our neighborhoods with hospitality with co-workers um, 
um, family, things like that. And then the, in that final section saying, okay, not just as individuals or households, but now as the community of faith, as the church together, what are things we can be doing in terms of prayer, in terms of witnessing, in terms of preaching? So um, that's where we're kind of where we're kind of headed. And so what I'm after, and I, I, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, we want to be practical, and yet... Um, uh, what I want to avoid is I think evangelism training at its worst tends to lean heavily on, on guilt and on gimmicks, right? So they kind of press you down with feeling really guilty because, you know, you're not Billy Graham, you're, you're not, you know, street preaching, you're not doing whatever their idea of evangelism is, so you feel really, really guilty, and then they try to give you some kind of gimmick, you know, just, just show this piece of paper, you know, go through this script and then people will be coming to faith in Christ. That's evangelism training at its worst. Much of it is not that way. Hopefully this won't be that way. But that's what I wanted to avoid. Um, so what we're really looking at is just bringing uh, us as a, as a church back to the basics of evangelism in many ways. You know, what, what is it? What does it look like? And how can we be doing this in practical ways uh, in our homes and our churches? So in terms of kind of housekeeping items, um, You've got the different topics and the dates there. We will be, um, I think, recording these, although I'm not recording this now, so I don't know if we are not. It's recording. He's putting, okay. We're on, we're on the air. Um, we'll be recording these, not to put out, I don't think, um, broadly, but if you miss a week or something, I know people might be traveling, you can catch up and, and listen. But we're gonna also going to try to make each session pretty self-contained. So if you're able to, if you, if you miss a week or something, don't feel like, oh, I can't come back because I'm behind. You can definitely come and participate. Um, what I want to do, especially in maybe the, this and the next talk, um, where I'm going to be giving a bit more content, um, I'd invite you to you know, take the outlines, take a pen, and as you, as you have thoughts, as you have questions, if you have comments, just jot them down. And I'll try to kind of cut things off after 40 minutes or so and give us some time to, to talk and to work through things. Um, but we'll probably just kind of keep moving through and then do questions and discussion at the end, if that's all right. Um, also, just keep an eye on kind of what we're going to be covering when. So if you have just like great ideas for how families can share their faith in their neighborhoods, please share that. But maybe do that on our third week when we're talking about that. You know, there's so much material here. It just would be easy to get sidetracked. So we'll try to kind of stay focused and move on these topics. But again, um, especially as we kind of move into the later sessions, um, I'm going to be seeking input. You know, how have you guys been sharing your faith? How have you seen it done well? How have you seen it done poorly? What are ideas of things we could do? So we're going to have some of that um, as well. But that's a bit of an overview of you know the, the why, the what, and the how. Um, any any questions um, before we dive into this session? Okay, great. Um, so we want to begin by just asking this question: What is a culture? Of evangelism, what would that look like? That's what we're after here: is how we as a church can have, can be a place where where the gospel is going out regularly. And uh, I wrestled with trying to kind of put together or find a good, you know, catchy, easy to remember definition that we could all take away with us. And I failed miserably. So <laughs> instead, I have this very wordy definition that I've given you there, so you can kind of follow along. Um, but I think this is a good definition because, as we'll see briefly, um, it's drawn straight from Scripture. And I think it's, it's, it's fairly comprehensive, although as, as we go through this, if you have better ideas of ways of capturing this, jot that down and share it when we come to our discussion time. But I think we could define a culture of evangelism as, 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 as being what, what you would find in a church where Christians are speaking to non-Christians of various types about Christ with the help of the Lord and with steadfast purpose so that sinners might be saved and sanctified both in their own community and around the world. See what I mean? It's very catchy. Um, a church where Christians are speaking to non-Christians of various types about Christ with the help of the Lord and with steadfast purpose so that sinners might be saved and sanctified both in their own community and around the world. I know that's wordy. This is kind of a Westminster confession <laughs> definition here. But um, I think this is going to be hopefully helpful for us as we think about cultivating um, this kind of thing in our own context. And where I'm drawing this from is uh, a specific example of a specific church in the Bible. Now let me just ask you generally. If someone were to say, you know, I don't really know what it would look like for churches to be evangelizing faithfully. 
Can you give me an example from the Bible? Um, what what book would you think to take people to? What would be the first thing that comes to your mind? Acts. <laughs> yeah, the book of Acts. It, it just seems like that's the place to go. We see this really clearly. And there are a lot of places we can go in the book of Acts. Really, it starts with the gospel going out, right? Christ has ascended into heaven. His disciples and apostles are gathered there in Jerusalem. And the Christ who was anointed with the Spirit now anoints his people with the Spirit. And immediately, the gospel is preached by Peter. Thousands of people are saved and the church is formed. And from there on out, the whole book of Acts is really, you know, first kind of focusing on Peter and then focusing on Paul, showing how the gospel moves forward among the Jews, among the Gentiles, and Jerusalem, you know, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the theme and the kind of force of the book of Acts. There's a lot of places we could look. The, the Church of Jerusalem probably comes to mind as a good example, right, of a church that's spreading the gospel, and you see the kind of radical Christian life that they're living in chapters 2 and 3 and so forth. Um, but as I wrestled with, you know, what would be a good example of a kind of typical church, right, because we don't have apostles, and um, while we do have the power of the Spirit, right, the kind of incredible thing that happens at Pentecost is not something that God normally does um, in most of our churches. So what would kind of a normal Christian church example um, be of a place that has a culture of evangelism? And I think a good example is actually found in Acts chapter 11. And that's where I've really kind of drawn this definition from. In Acts chapter 11, we see the story of how the church in Antioch was founded. And I think Antioch is a really good example for us to go to. So I want to just kind of read through some of this show how it connects with our definition. And as I do this, I want you just to think about your own life as an individual Christian, but also our life as a community of Christians. Think about Kirk of the Plains and say, okay, are there are there areas by God's grace where we see ourselves reflected here? And are there areas where we need to grow? Areas where we've not yet um, been as, as faithful as we could be? I think this is a good mirror for us. So Acts chapter 11, uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 19. So just listen as I read. Luke tells us about uh, how the church was formed there when he says in verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now, just turn the page. Um, chapter 12 kind of focuses on some of the persecution of the church endures. And then chapter 13 picks back up with the church in Antioch. And this is what we read in verse 1. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now that's actually an account of the beginning of what we call the first Paul's first missionary journey. This is the first time in the history of the world where, where the New Testament church formally sends out missionaries to spread the gospel. Well, you know, the gospel has been spreading like wildfire in many ways by word of mouth. That's even how the church in Antioch was formed. But the, it was from Antioch that the first missionary efforts began. So there's a couple of firsts that happened here in Antioch that are worth noting. The first thing is to see that um, this was the first church um, where there was a conscious choice not only to preach the gospel to the Jews, but to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. 
Now, this is not the first time Gentiles are saved. It's not the first time the Gentiles hear the gospel, right? We've seen even just a couple of chapters before. We have the Ethiopian eunuch, right? We have the whole story in Acts chapter 10 of Peter and Cornelius. Um, but those are almost kind of exceptions to the rule. Uh, in general, in terms of the book of Acts, um, Christianity moves this way. Um, people are converted out of Judaism and they go to fellow Jews, often going into the synagogues and trying to show people who accept the Old Testament and accept the God of the Old Testament, um, they try to show them that the Messiah that they're waiting for has come and his name is Jesus Christ. So they're doing the work of evangelism. They're preaching Christ, for sure. Um, but the, the tendency is, go to our people who believe in many of the same things we believe in and kind of share the faith there, reasoning in the synagogue with them. However, we read in in verse 20, that while there were some who spoke the word to no one except the Jews, there were others, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, um, these are not Jewish strongholds, so maybe even Greek converts themselves, we don't know, but men who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenist also. The Hellenists would be um, Greek-speaking people, non-Jews, just kind of ordinary pagans. And they speak to them of Christ and preach the Lord Jesus. And it says actually twice in our text, a great many are saved. So we start to see here where our, our definition of a culture of evangelism is coming from, right? You have Christians here speaking to non-Christians of various types. It's not just the Jews, it's also to the Gentiles. They're speaking about Christ, right? That's important. A lot of evangelism um, today will skirt on issues of sin and salvation. It kind of becomes this kind of therapeutic message of, here's how you can improve your life, or here's how you can find peace or happiness or joy. And it confuses the fruit of the gospel with the heart of the gospel, right? These people are not doing that. They're preaching the Lord Jesus, right? And many are being saved. But we see how the, 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 this is happening as well. Verse 21. We see that the hand of the Lord was with them. So they're not just doing this in their own strength, right? They didn't sit down and say, you know, here's our kind of man-made strategy for reaching the Gentiles and Antioch. They're preaching the Lord Jesus by the Lord Jesus, by the help of the Lord. And what happens is there are so many people coming to faith in Christ, the church is growing so quickly that, that the report of that begins to spread. And so the church in Jerusalem hears what's going on and they send Barnabas to kind of investigate and see what, what's happening here. And Barnabas comes and it says in verse uh, verse. 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Um, so Barnabas, the, 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 the encourager, comes and sees what's happening and he, he is excited about that. And he's exhorting them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now, I think this is kind of, the, I wrote that in the definition as well because I think this is an important point too. Um, evangelism for us is often a kind of start and stop endeavor, right? We maybe have seasons where we do evangelism or you know, we feel guilty and so we go out and do evangelism. But to have evangelism as a kind of constant in our lives feels pretty foreign, probably to most of us. Maybe for some of you it doesn't. But I think for most of us, we kind of do evangelism when we think of it and we don't think of it very often. That's not the case here. You know, these are people who are being steadfast in evangelism. And remember where these first Christians came from. They're fleeing Jerusalem, where they've just seen one of their deacons, Stephen, stoned to death. Now you would think, okay, maybe it's time to kind of get out of Jerusalem and just lie low a little bit. You know, the, the, the people are losing their lives. It'd be very natural to kind of just step back a little bit. You know, the apostles at Pentecost are up there just preaching all these people. Maybe that wisest wisest strategy. Maybe we need to rethink. That's not how they're approaching things. As they're scattered. They're going around preaching the gospel. They're telling people. They're telling not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And Barnabas encourages them to continue in that. So I think there's a model there for us in many, many ways. Um, and uh, another thing that we see here is, so when Barnabas sees what's happening, he goes and finds Paul, right, in Tarsus. And he brings him back to Antioch. And they spend the next year teaching and discipling and meeting with these believers, and this is another thing that is often left out of kind of modern evangelical evangelism. There's a big emphasis on kind of, you know, making some, you know, getting someone to make a decision, right, for Christ. But then they're not discipled in Christ. Um, they're supposed to be converted to Christ, 
But then they receive no training or guidance on what it means to be conformed to Christ. That's not what's happening in Antioch. It says a great many people are believing and turning to the Lord, right, verse 21. But then it also says, verse 26, that that these men come to Antioch and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. Um, so that's a, a model for us as well that we, we need as we think about evangelism and as we try to cultivate this kind of culture of evangelism, this lifestyle of evangelism, our mindset needs to be not just to see people saved, but to see people sanctified. And I think um, this is a generalization, but by God's grace there are exceptions to the rule. But I think in general the way it works in America is um, broadly evangelical, more shallow churches focus on saving and more mature, grounded, you know, reformed churches focus on sanctifying. And, and you'll even hear some pastors that will almost talk like they're okay with that. Well, you know, this church down the road is really good at kind of bringing people in, um, and then we kind of, you know, they'll come to us when they outgrow that church, and then we'll kind of bring them along to faith. Um, that, we should not be happy with that. that that's, that's not a healthy church on either end, right? The church in Antioch is seeing a great many people saved, and it's seeing a great many people sanctified. That's that's the mindset for us. Um, the last kind of element I have there is, is that they're not only doing this in Antioch, but they have a kingdom mindset. And we see that in two ways. In verses 27 to 30, we didn't read that, but uh, the church basically finds out through a prophet that's there that there's going to be a great famine and a great need of other Christians in Judea. So people, according to their need, it's, according to their ability, it says, give to help their brothers and sisters. They're not just focused on their own church. They're trying to help other churches. And then, of course, in chapter 13, we see a great example of that, where this church that's been exploding, it's growing, people are coming in, they have these solid teachers there that are discipling them and bringing people along, and then the Holy Spirit comes and says, yeah, I want you to take your, your best and your brightest, your two strongest teachers, your two strongest Christians, Barnabas and Paul, I want you to send them away for mission work. And this is where many churches begin to kind of back up and say, well, you know, we, we, we can't send that person to the mission field. You know, we can't give that family to a church plant because look at all the good they're doing here. Look at the ministry that's happening. That's a natural temptation. Again, that's not how they respond. It says they're worshiping. The Spirit sends this message, you know, set apart these men for the work to which I've called them. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I mean, it almost seems like it all happens right then and there. Um, I think the church in Antioch is a fantastic model for us of what a culture of evangelism would look like. It would be a place where you have Christians speaking to non-Christians of various types about Christ with the help of the Lord, um, with steadfast purpose, and with the goal that sinners would be saved and sanctified, not just in their community, but around the world. That's the prayer for Kirk of the Plains. And I think by God's grace, you know, we, we've seen, we see some of this. We see glimmers of this. But I've never been part of a church um, that looks like this fully. Maybe some of you have. Um, but I think every church I've been in has fallen off on one end or the other. And so we, I, one, I, one reason I spend so much time on this passage is because I hope that, especially as we go through these kind of four sessions, that you will take this passage... Make this a pattern for prayer for Kirk of the Plains, please, over this summer. Let's, let's commit as a church to, to, to looking at this and other passages in Scripture that give commands about evangelism, that give examples of evangelism, and come to the Lord and say, God, would you help us to be this kind of church? Would you help us to be these kind of people? Would you help us to see the kinds of ministry, the kind of attitudes, the kind of heartbeat that we find in Antioch here in Andover and Augusta and Douglas and Newton and wherever God has placed us. Um, so I think this is a really um, helpful way to kind of begin by, by getting this in our sights. We'll be talking more in the weeks to come, right, about ways we can pursue this, um, but I want us to see what we're aiming for right at the beginning. So hold this vision in front of you, and I hope even just reading this and thinking about our church plant in light of that is something that excites you to say, yes, Lord, let us be that kind of place. Let us be that kind of church. Um, but we have uh, many, many different motivations in the Bible for pursuing this kind of culture. So I want to talk about that just a little bit, and then we'll, we'll have some time for discussion as well. Um, 
having seen what a culture of evangelism is, why should we pursue this? Why is this something that, not just that we could do, but that we should do? Uh, I think it can be tempting to, you know, you look at Jerusalem, you look at Antioch, and you think, well, that's amazing, but, you know, they have these apostles there, and um, maybe their cultural context, we, we assume, was easier. It actually wasn't. It's probably just as hard or harder than our own. You know, but we, we, we kind of find reasons why this doesn't apply to my church, or maybe it applies to my church, but it doesn't apply to me. I'm more introverted, or I'm busy, or whatever. And, and we, we, we make excuses, often not even consciously, to kind of get ourselves out of the responsibility of sharing our faith with other people. Um, biblically speaking, that's not really an option. We're all going to share, we're all going to have... We're all going to bring different gifts and personalities and opportunities to bear on this, right? So not everyone's life of evangelism will look identical. That's absolutely true. But none of us um, can, can, can opt out of this as individuals. And no church can opt out of this as a body of believers. So we'll be talking next week very specifically about things that tend to keep us from this. But I want to just lay out some broad biblical motivations that should always be in our minds. And again, these are good things to kind of pray through. So I, I encourage you to jot these down and use this as a pattern to pray um, as we think about cultivating this kind of attitude in our own church. So what are some biblical motivations of, of why we should pursue a culture of evangelism? Um, I think the first motivation is obedience to God's commands. Obedience to God's commands. This should be an obvious one, um, but we often ignore God's commands in this area. Uh, if we, as as Christians, you know, we, we talk about when we take the Lord's Supper, which we'll be doing, I think, in a couple of weeks here. Uh, we talk about, you know, if you are living in unrepentant <coughs> sin, if there's there's a law that God has given, and um, you either you either are not doing what it says to do, or you're doing what it says not to do habitually with no repentance and no remorse. That's a sign of deep spiritual sickness, and it needs to be addressed, right? And yet many of us, I can confess for myself, I, I, I don't even think about my failures in evangelism as falling under that category. I don't think of it as something that needs to be addressed. I think of it as kind of a, uh, you know, something that I'd like to do more of someday. But that's not how we're called to think of it, right? God calls us to bear witness to the gospel. There's a lot of places we could look. Let me just mention one, one text. Um, that, again, would be good for us to memorize um, as a body. First um, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Um, interestingly, Peter was one of the first... Was it the first book or one of the first books that we went through as a group um, in our midweek study? I think it was the first. So we're, we're coming, looping back around for those of you who have been with the group a long time. But First Peter chapter 2. Remember, Peter is talking to persecuted Christians... Um, who are facing very difficult lives, and he's trying to remind them of who they are in Christ and of what that means for their walk and for their witness. And and he has this great encouragement in um, chapter 2, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, we see there a lot of beautiful truth about who we are as Christians, what we are as a church, as a body, but also why God has made us a chosen race, right? A holy nation, uh, a people for his own possession. It's so that we might proclaim his excellencies to a lost world. We who have been brought from darkness into light, right, as we've been looking at in Ephesians 5, might walk in the light. Um, I've been reading a book by Jeremy Walker called The Brokenhearted Evangelist, which is an excellent little book if you, if you feel like you need help in motivating you for evangelism that's not guilt-driven, but again, very grace-driven, very gospel-driven. And uh, really the entire book, he, he's kind of drawing from um, Psalm 51, where David is confessing his sins, and he talks about how in his repentance, you know, Lord, you know, give me your spirit, give me your grace, so that I might teach sinners your ways and they would be converted to you. Right? I think it's uh, Psalm 51, 13. That's another verse worth meditating on, memorizing, as we work through this. Um, so, obedience to God's commands is, is a basic motivation. 
Um, are we going to do what God says or not? This is, a, again, one of those simple things that can be hard, but we need to press ourselves on this. Are we being obedient to God's commands? Um, another motivation, and this is linked together, these are all linked together, but another good motivation is the health of Christ's church. So obedience to God's commands is number one. The health of Christ's church is number two. Um, this is part of why we should not be content with saying, well, we're a sanctifying church, you know, they're a saving church. Evangelism has many different purposes. We often think of it as having one purpose. The purpose is to get an unbeliever to become a believer. The problem with that is, there are a number of problems with that, you know, one of which is it opens us up for huge discouragement if we're working with an unbeliever and we're not seeing them become a believer. You know, we see hardening of heart, we see apathy, we see anger, whatever, and so we think that was a failed effort. Um, it's not necessarily the case. First off, because you may be planting seeds or watering seeds that someone else years down the road may, may bear harvest on. But even if you have someone who, maybe there's many Christians who bear witness to them over the course of their life and they never come to faith in Christ. Um, was all of that evangelism wasted? I think biblically the answer is no. Because witnessing is not just, um, it's not only for the sake of the lost, it's also for the sake of the saved. We need, if we are to be spiritually healthy people, to be bearing witness to the gospel. Um, Christ uses the, the crucible of evangelism to confront many of our sins, um, our idols, our, uh, to help us overcome different temptations. We'll look again some of those next week, you know, fear and apathy and ignorance. Um, we were talking about, you know, in the, in the class on talking with Jehovah's Witnesses. You walk through that, um, you know, how do you interact with Jehovah's Witnesses, and it forces you to say, wow, I need to actually understand things like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed really well if I'm going to bear witness to Jehovah's Witness. Even if that Jehovah's Witness never becomes saved, you're being pushed deeper into your own understanding, deeper into the Scriptures, closer to Christ by His grace as you do the work of evangelism. There's all sorts of ways in which Christ uses evangelism to strengthen and make us more healthy as a church. And what tends to happen, and probably many of us have seen this in our own lives and churches, is when evangelism is not something that is talked about and preached about and prayed about, churches become ingrown, they become consumed with their own debates, their own distinctives, and again, as Reformed churches, um, that can be a temptation. It doesn't have to be there, but that can be a temptation that we just are kind of continually patting ourselves on the back for all the ways that we're being faithful and other churches aren't. We miss the fact, maybe, that we're not doing all that God commands in this area. So if we're to be healthy as a church, we need to be reaching out. Now, as we see in, in Antioch, the, the, the pattern generally is faithful witness brings fruit, right? Many people become saved. We should not be um, pessimistic about our preaching and our evangelism. I'm not, pre I'm not trying to encourage that at all. But even if worst-case scenario happened, and we as a church were really to be faithful in evangelism, nurturing this culture of evangelism, and yet we see very little fruit, that doesn't mean it's, it's, it's lost, right? This is part of something we need for the health of God's church. Um, it also can be a, a, a barometer of our own health as individual Christians. Um, sick Christians don't share their faith. And sometimes, um, Walker makes a very um, kind of convicting comment on this. He says, let us fear that, that if we truly have nothing to say, you come face to face with an unbeliever and you just have nothing to say to them, not because they're like raising these big objections, but just you, you, you're not willing to speak up for Christ. Sometimes, if we have nothing to say, it might be because we have nothing real about which to speak. If you can live entirely mute, then you need to ask yourself whether you were truly saved. Now, I'm not saying that to make a true believer doubt their salvation. Um, again, I would say this is an area where I, I find myself falling so far short. But I can also look back and see how God has helped me to overcome fear in certain instances. Other times I've been dominated by fear, but there's times where He's helped me to overcome fear. There's times where my self-centeredness has been um, pushed to the side and God gives uh, a desire to serve him and to serve my neighbor by speaking the truth. Um, so we're not looking for perfection. That's not the standard. It's not, oh, I can think of an opportunity where I, I was silent and I should have spoken. 
That would be true for every single one of us in this room. I can guarantee you that. Um, but if we have never spoken to someone about our faith, and we have no desire to speak to anyone about our faith, and we just want to be left alone in a sense, um, that definitely shows we have some spiritual sickness. It might show that we have, we've not been gripped by the gospel at all. Again, we, we, this is a common comment, but um, we all have no problem talking about things we're excited about, right? You know, think about your hobbies, think about the things that you're passionate about. Um, maybe your friends wish you would stop talking about them, but you have no problem, you know, sharing about the new thing you bought or the new thing you're doing or the vacation you're going on or whatever it is. We, we get excited about these things we share. Um, I remember, you know, when, when you're first, you know, dating your your spouse and you know you're engaged in things, you're talking about them all the time, um, and no one has to tell you, hey, why don't you talk more about you know this your, your relationship? Um, it's just a natural kind of thing because you're excited about it. If there's no excitement about the gospel, no excitement about Christ, that might say something about our spiritual health. Now, the application here is not go away and despair of your salvation. The application here is. One of the ways that Christ keeps us healthy and keeps us close to him and keeps us close to the gospel is by pushing us to share the gospel, right? So it's part of the, for the health of Christ's church. Um, but of course, number three, it's also for the salvation of eternal souls, right? This is big. And I think um, oftentimes, this is true for me, I turn evangelism and my obedience or lack of obedience there into this big exercise and kind of introspection. And I, and I can think and talk as if, you know, evangelism is all about me. Um, so this is maybe the counterbalance to the, you know, the, the point I just made, which is really not a counterbalance, it's just it's the two come together. And that is that we need to love other people enough to be willing to be inconvenienced in our time. We need to love other people enough to be willing to, um, to have awkward conversations. Um, you, you look at what the early church is going through, people actually being killed for their faith, people having to flee their homes, um, and yet you can't stop them from talking about Jesus with everyone they meet. And yet for many of us, the, you know, the worst thing that can happen is a socially awkward moment, and that's enough to keep us from even, even going there. Um, we need to love lost sinners as much as Jesus does. Um, and, and that means that we preach the gospel for the salvation of eternal souls. Um, we'll, be, we'll be talking more about all of these things, so I'm, I'm just mentioning them now. And then I think the, the, the fourth reason I would give in terms of big picture, we need to be motivated by the honor and glory of Christ. Um, I think about in the Gospels, and you see this all throughout the Gospels, especially in the book of Mark, Jesus will come and heal someone or he'll cast out a demon or you know, something miraculous and he'll tell something and, and the language used is really strong he'll like I charge you do not tell anyone about who I am and what I've done kind of thing Jesus will say that to these people and I didn't take the time to look up every example but in many of those examples maybe all of them that'd be an interesting study but in many of those examples people walk away and they immediately tell others you know here is Jesus and here's what he's done and yet, Christ commands us to do that. He commands us to tell other people about who he is and what he's done, and we don't. How different? I mean, you think about the light that one of these lepers has, or a demoniac, who you know, is, has, has been far from God. They have one interaction with Christ, which is so powerful and transformative that even though he tells them, don't tell people about who I am and what I've done, they can't help but go out and do that. And yet we've grown up in the church and we've sat under good preaching and we have the canon of scripture and you know all these blessings, all these benefits and Christ commands us, go out, tell people about me. They're a witness to the gospel and we don't. Um, I think that says a lot about not just our own spiritual health as individual Christians but about our attitude towards God. I don't think we're that worried about God's honor and God's glory. Um, and we need to be. And again, as Reformed Christians, that's an area where we would say we're strong, right? We, we, we fight for the glory of God. We fight for the honor of Christ. We, we don't want a shallow faith. We don't want a kind of trendy um, faith. You know, we, we, want a, we, we serve a weighty, sovereign God, and we want His name to be worshipped and honored and known and respected. And I think in many ways we do fight for that. But in this area, 
I think we often fall very short. Um, so there are a lot of things that should should motivate us and should drive us toward um, toward evangelism. So these are just uh, we'll we'll stop and have some time for for discussion. But I think these are two questions that are worth keeping in front of us. So I, I would encourage you to you know keep this handout in your Bible with the passages that are marked down and just be reading over this definition. This is a good source of prayer. I've taken each of these things straight from Acts 11 and Acts 13. Go through those passages themselves. Pray that for our church. Pray that for um, your family. Meditate on these motivations. And, and let's search our own hearts and see, are we where we need to be as individuals and as a body to really be nurturing this kind of a culture and this kind of an attitude? Um, so that's a, that's a kind of big picture. Um, we'll get into more of the details as we go on. But... Um, are there are there thoughts, comments, questions? What we've looked at. What did you say before when you said they did not confuse the fruit of the gospel with um, with the with the heart of the gospel? Okay. I was just thinking two things about motivations of women, and it's like what Paul says: so preach Christ for mm-hmm. and with good motives. But it is every church that Christ is preached. Mm-hmm. You know, on that, um, that it just in itself. Yeah. But the truth is explained. That's what we're going to do. And then another thought that I had is what motivation or hindrance. Um, I think sometimes I would really remember that hell is real. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Because maybe in history in the past there were people that would preach and scare like about hell and all of that. I think we have air in the side of we don't even talk about it. Mm-hmm. And we forget that people are really going there, you know. And I think if we would be more aware of the future and destruction, we would be more prone to have compassion and jump into obedience, mm-hmm. you know. It's just sad thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to um, kind of a roundtable discussion, some different pastors talking about evangelism, and I can't remember who it was, but one of them was talking about how, you know, we have to to be faithful in evangelism as Christians and as churches. You know, we have to think rightly about God and His honor and His glory and all of that. We also need to think rightly about other people, like you said. And a big barrier is we tend to see people that we interact with as either kind of machines or they're just kind of part of the landscape. And what, what he meant is like, you know, you you go to get to the store, you know, and you hand the lady your money and she hands you your your groceries. Um, it's almost like putting money in a machine and getting out. You're, you're not looking at her as a human soul that has um, an eternal destiny, either in hell, with all that that means, or in heaven with all that that means. You know, or we, or we go to the store and it's just you just see the sea of people and they're just kind of part of the background. You know, it's like a blade of grass or a tree or something. And um, some of the older writers, Spurgeon in particular, is really good on just kind of helping us to see our lives day to day in light of eternity and thinking about every person we meet as someone who has an eternal soul. And uh, again, like you said, bringing in the reality of, of heaven and hell to that. Very important. And I don't remember the exact quote, and actually, I think I have it in my Bible, a little thing. But when it was said, like, if they're going to go to hell, they have to go through my body. Like, mm-hmm. that. I'm going to grab them. You know, like, yeah. I don't remember. It's like, I, it's, I, I think that's Spurgeon. It's Spurgeon, maybe? Like that. If their if their eternal destiny is how you know let it be but not without a fight you know yeah. kind of like that, yeah. that, that's the idea but it's like yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna be in at some yeah <laughs> it's encouraging the motivations we were talking yesterday in a women's study about you know living in light of eternity and the fact that this life is not our home but there's better things coming and and. <laughs> And just thinking, if you're talking about how um, you know we can sit back and rest in that and take comfort in that, but for dealers, don't have that comfort in that boat. And it would be you know similar to being in the lifeboat after the sinking ship 
and just watching the others and so I'm so glad that's life but, but not not being worried about trying to pull the others in and share with them as well to give them that hope. So yeah. I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, the magician duo Penn and Teller. Um, they're famous magicians and uh, I think both of the guys are atheists. They're not Christians and um, Penn in particular is you know, speaks a lot about atheism and everything. But he has this really convicting quote where he basically talks about, uh, I don't have it exactly memorized, but he basically says, you know, um, I'm not offended by Christians who try to convert people, who try to proselytize. He said, I'm offended by Christians that don't. Because he said, based on what you say you believe about heaven and hell and eternity, um, how much would you have to hate someone to know they were going to hell and not care enough to tell them? So he said, I actually respect Christians that try to convert me. I have no respect for Christians who don't try to convert me. Um, that always hits me because it's, it's true. It does say a lot about, I think, our, our mindset. You know, um, Other comments or questions? Well, again, this is something that um, we want to be the beginning of, of conversation in a sense. And um, part of our hope even is ne- next week um, I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully have some kind of specific things to share with you. But we're hoping in that month in between the two sessions um, to have some practical ways that we can be reaching out, evangelizing, growing. Um, kind of some homework in a sense that we can do. Um, yeah? That's all. Just, I think it might be a good reminder. I, I got uh, the, the obvious motivation that was for first obedience, mm-hmm. I thought it was like exactly the first mm-hmm. thing. But I think sometimes, just as a reminder of what it's not, mm-hmm. it's not a feeling. Uh, personally, God, Reviewed me once, you know, because I remember myself like not sharing the gospel, mm-hmm. and I was stubborn. And he, it's another story, but he really confronted me with that. But um, just a good reminder: uh, it's not a feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your yeah, motivation don't wait to feel like. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um. But we want to be, again, growing in the practice of this, not just get together and talk about it and move on with our lives. And so if there's homework for this week, it would be take some of these verses, maybe you have some other verses, and just make a point of meditating on them, maybe memorizing them as a family. Things that we can be saying to ourselves to remind us of the wonderful blessing that we have and the duty that we have to bear witness to the gospel um, as individuals and as a church. Um, and then again, next week we'll begin to kind of um, be a bit more hands-on and specific, and we'll, we'll hopefully leave um, with some some things that we can practically be doing, and then come back after a month and you know talk through more of those things and think, okay, in the realm of the home, in the realm of the church, how can we do this um, more and more faithfully, more and more um, fruitfully? And 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 really, I think part of the prayer is that out of this summer of just kind of collectively thinking about this and growing in this, that um, you know, there, there are things that we can begin to do. We, we don't have a big program we're trying to like introduce. Programs aren't bad, but if you begin to think of evangelism as a program or, or something, um, it tends to undermine real evangelism. So, but, but, but there are things that maybe we want to do differently. You know, if we're talking about growing into this, that means things are gonna have to change in our lives, individually, our lives as families, um, our life as a church. So we want to see what that looks like in terms of um, what God is calling calling us to. But um, let's be prepared for that and praying about it even now. I think prayer is something that we give lip service to with all of this, but it really is the key. right? The Christians at Antioch um, had, had the hand of the Lord to help. That's why there are a great many people being saved. So that's something we need to be seeking as well. But... Anything to, to add? Yeah, I, I would probably just add that uh, the Christians that we read about in the Bible were not like super Christians. You know, so it's not like, wow, because of who they were, the gospel was spread and we saw the church grow. 
you know, if you think about, a lot of people have debated, Acts is the Acts of what? Is it the Acts of the Church? Is it the Acts of the Apostles? You know, which it has been called in the past, but I think the best uh, explanation is, is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so as we pray, um, I, I just would encourage you to pray expectantly. Um, I'm, I'm sort of excited and terrified all at the same time as, I, as we get at this uh, we get at this point to see. I wonder what the Lord's going to do. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's probably going to mess with our lives more than what we thought. But I think there's going to be some exciting things that are, are going to happen. So I just encourage you to um, to just pray expectantly to see what the Lord will do uh, in our lives and stuff like that. But anyway, yeah. Another thought. Um, I've been always. And my mom has had the gift of evangelism. Mm-hmm. So it's always been interesting to kind of live under the shadow of what I, I, I witness to people that really like I mean, it's interesting, like not perfectly, but they mm-hmm. they go everywhere. Um, so I've been encouraged to know that if there's some people that are gifted, mm-hmm. but we're all commanded, yeah. and so we all do it. But even with that, we all have a part of it, and it's a teamwork. Mm-hmm. And as we were praying, and I was thinking, uh, like, just practically speaking right now, I mean, you all know, like, Nicole is preparing for uh, outreach for dark for the summer, and I'm going to be teaching, um, you know, for the gospel to children in two weeks. And it's a joy, it's a privilege, but from my experience, it's also going to reckon a lot of hours of prayer, mm-hmm. preparation. I made progress, but I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. And, and even if we are up front, if you want to call it, I would cover your prayers. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can be part of it. Like maybe right now your gift is not to be at the front line, but for those that are on the front line, we appreciate prayers. Like, you know, for health, for strength, for wisdom, you know. And so uh, there's times when we take turns and sometimes when we are going to be on the mm-hmm. front line, mm-hmm. sometimes in the back. But we are all part of it. And I personally uh, encourage you to help us pray, you know, mm-hmm. because I because I know it's not on my strength, you know. Yeah. It is the work of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. So um, just that as we prepare to yeah. pray, you know, yeah. uh, and the faculty, please pray through these weeks and the yeah. summer for what's going on. And that's something that I do, I hope will be an emphasis of all of the remaining sessions is we're talking about nurturing a culture of evangelism. I can't have a culture of anything. You can't have a culture of anything. Only we can have a culture of evangelism. It's a community, congregational, church thing. And it's going to require us doing exactly what you said, Sylvia. So that's a great um, great reminder there. So this book, The Brokenhearted Evangelist, is... Uh, uh, well, at least for me, it was a deeply convicting book and yet encouraging book at the same time. And as a matter of fact, I was just thinking about this. I thought, you know, somebody should have ordered some of these and put it on the book rack. So we may do that, you know, if you guys be interested. But anyway, I'll leave it out here. If you guys want to thumb through it or anything or look at it, you're, you're welcome to do it. But um, like I said, it's, uh, you know, here again, I, I think oftentimes the church is sought to try to guilt people into evangelism. There's a difference, though, between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the guilt of the church. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're desiring is, is that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts to motivate us uh, to do these things. So, anyway, do you mind if I close this in prayer? Cool. Thanks. Our Heavenly Father, we, we praise and thank you, God, that uh, you work mightily uh, in the hearts of, of men, women, and children. Uh, Lord, we all come to you tonight and we give thanks for those that you have brought into our lives that have shared Christ with us. And and just for the work that you have done and are continuing to do, uh, Lord, we give you praise that each and every day you continue to, to sanctify us and, and uh, cause us to grow, to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are just overwhelmed to think that you have used um, broken vessels like us uh, to, to be part of the gospel and, and to share that uh, with others. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you would uh, cause us as, uh, in our households and in, in our church uh, to have that culture of evangelism where it's just natural. And so we pray, Lord, that these things that we read in Scripture, that we would see 
in our lives. And I, I just pray that you would work in our hearts in, in whatever way is necessary to make that a reality. But we pray, God, that at the, the center of all of this, that would be our heart's desire uh, to see you glorified. Uh, for you, Lord, to make yourself known, because there is no God but you. And we pray, Lord, that we might stand in eternity with those that we have had the privilege to share Christ with, to worship you forever and ever and ever. To your name be glory and honor and praise. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you.